Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. I want to begin this morning with having us think about our pet peeves. I realize that's not the best transition out of worship. Maybe that's one of your pet peeves. I don't know. But what are those things that just annoy you, those small, those little things that just get under your skin? Now, I'd love to have all of us share in here, of course, but I think the collective angst would be overwhelming. So uh, since I have a microphone, I'll share a couple of mine and maybe we'll find some common ground. How about when you have a plate of french fries and you grab the ketchup and you pour it on your french fries, but just the liquid comes out first. Just ruins your french fries. Don't you hate that? What about people that cut in line? You've been standing there, whether it's at the store or at the theater, and then somebody's just kind of in front of you, or you're driving and you've got that merge lane and everybody knows that you're supposed to get over, but someone always drives to the very end like they're the king of the world, pulls in way up front, right? You want to crash your car into them in Christian love. (laughs) Of course, of course. Uh, Maybe um, people who take selfies and then put hashtag selfie. It's a little bit redundant. You understand that. Or if you've ever been stuck in a group text, you just keep getting more and more text, but none of it really has anything to do with you. And you're just like, I want out. That's all I want is out. Um, People who talk in the movies, uh, big dogs that do their business in my front yard. (laughs) People who start conversations with no offense, but because you know what's coming, right? They're going to offend you. Uh, Cell phones at the dinner table. Can I get an amen from the parents? Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, Beginning an apology with the phrase, I'm sorry you feel that way, because that is not an apology. Uh, When you go to Chipotle and they're wrapping your burrito and then you get a big tear in it, but they don't do anything about it because you know as soon as you unwrap it and eat, it's going to fall everywhere. Ooh. Maybe you have church pet peeves. Maybe one of your church pet peeves is just as you get comfortable and sit down, the worship leader says, please stand. You're like, oh, just sat down. So tired from those two songs. Um, <laughs> one of my, honestly, one of my church pet peeves is uh, marquees with cheesy slogans on them, like uh, prevent truth decay. Brush up on your Bible. <laughs> oh. What about this? Choose the bread of life or your toast. You know, you're like, well, let's not take this huge truth and make it trite. Like, are we really going to joke about people being toast? I don't know. Maybe it's, um, you know, almost every service we do that fellowship time. We love to have you shake hands and see who's around you. But you ever been sitting there and you can hear the person behind you just with this wet hacking cough? And you're like, I know it's going to, I'm going to have to shake hands with that person. So you pull that like meditative, I'm still praying thing when the prayer comes and then as soon as that time, oh, hey, did I miss that? Okay, good to see you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your pet peeves are, but I do know this. I know that pet peeves take us just out of our routine and they take us away from kind of what's going on around us and they draw our attention to these little annoying things and it just kind of wrecks our day. Our pet peeves take us from the bigger story and they take us down to the little story, to the small story. I was in Disneyland with my family and 
I was just about to get on one of the roller coasters there. And the person who had been in the seat prior to me had just come off apparently one of those water rides. Uh, I want to think that they did. <laughs> I, wanna, I really want to believe that it was one of those water rides that made that seat so wet and that the ride just wasn't that scary. But they get out and then you know you have to sit in that. And I don't want to sit in that. And you know, you sit down and I'm just like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And I know I, I missed the whole ride and I missed the time with my daughter. And then for the next two hours, I'm in the happiest place on earth. But I'm just, you know, angry and bitter and I'm missing out on the bigger story because that's what happens to us oftentimes. You see, our, our pet peeves, those annoyances, kind of play into how we think the world should work, how we think other people should act, how we think God should run things. Like, God, if you, if you really care about me, then that parking place right up front is the one for me and you'll make that available. Or God, if you really care about me, then you'll do something about that person that's annoying me or you'll do something about my boss. And we take our attention off God's global purpose and we end up in our own small little story. And that's Jonah. And we're gonna look at Jonah today. And that's the problem with Jonah. Jonah couldn't see God's bigger story. He was just wrapped up in his own little world, in his own little ideology with this idea that God exists to make this work for him. And that can be us too. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Jonah chapter four. And if you wanna grab one from the pew there, it's on page 1454. And we're closing out our series, which we've called I Am Jonah. And whether you like Jonah or you don't like Jonah, we're probably all a little bit like Jonah more than we even care to admit. Because all of us in some way or another are, are runners. And as what we've seen in this series is that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Let me give you a little recap of the story. Jonah is a prophet of God. God speaks to Jonah and Jonah delivers his message to the nation of Israel. And at one point, God comes to Jonah. He says, I want you to deliver a message of repentance to Nineveh. Nineveh is the huge capital of Assyria. Assyria is the enemy of Israel. And so Jonah said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna preach to the enemy. And so he goes down to the docks and he buys a ticket for basically the farthest place in the known world that he can escape to. And he gets on a boat and he just heads out away from God. Now he's asleep in the boat and then a storm comes and he comes out on deck and everybody's panicked and nobody knows what to do and the boat's gonna sink. And eventually he says, it's my fault. And they throw him overboard. Now, by the grace of God, there's a fish. And here's the thing. The grace of God often doesn't look like we want it to look. But by the grace of God, there's a fish, right? And a fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days. Now he does what each and every one of us would do. He fervently prays, right? He prays, he cries out to God. And we see that in Jonah chapter two. And, and then at the end of three days, the fish unswallows him onto this beach. Now, if we can pause here for a minute, I hope when we get to heaven, there's a movie room. Because I, there's so many stories that we've read and read and studied, and I just want to see them. I want to see what really happened, and I want to see jo Jonah getting unswallowed by this fish. It'd just be so sweet. So he does. He gets unswallowed by the fish, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches a message of repentance. And the amazing thing is, is that this city that doesn't believe in God repents. 
They repent. And it's an amazing story. And the last verse of chapter three is this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God relented. Now, if the book of Jonah was only three chapters, what a beautiful story, right? It's about the grace of God to Jonah. It's about the grace of God to this city. It would be fantastic and neat and tidy and we could put a bow on it. But there's a chapter four. And honestly, admittedly, chapter four is just a little bit strange. And we're going to read it this morning. But as we read it, chapter four is for us. Chapter four is for the church. Chapter four should make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit of the time that we need to look in the mirror and see what we see. You see, Jonah is the main character of this story. It's called Jonah. But he's not the hero of this story. God's the hero of this story. God's the hero of of the whole story, right? God's the protagonist. Jonah is really the antagonist. And as we've been saying, we are like Jonah in so many ways. Jonah believed in God. Jonah was a religious, moral person. He obeyed God for the most part. But Jonah thought his way was best. Jonah thought God should fall in line with his demands. Jonah thought that it was all about his ideology. It was all about his way of thinking. You see, the story of Jonah isn't really written for the bad people. It's not really written for the sinners. There is that part. There's a part of Jonah that's about repentance, and and that's a beautiful thing. But Jonah's repentance sermon was, was in the original language, five words, and actually not that compelling. Jonah is more directed towards religious people. Jonah is more directed towards church people. And maybe you have this idea that church people are judgmental. Maybe you have this idea that church people lack compassion. Guess what? Jonah's your guy. He's your example. We might confirm some of your suspicions this morning. Because the point of Jonah is a guy who follows God, a guy that God speaks to, a guy who speaks the word of God, a guy who has surrendered to God. And yet he's so wrapped up in his own story that he doesn't see God's bigger story. And that can be us. That can absolutely be us. We can be more concerned with our own story and our own agenda. We can believe that everything revolves around us and we can miss what God's doing in the world. Let's look at Jonah, chapter four, starting in verse one. Now, you know, God just relented, right? Revival is happening in the city. Verse one, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. What? I mean, chapter four, if there was a chapter four that would be good, it should start out, for you are a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. (laughs) That is who you are. And yet when we read this, he's angry. And I think sometimes we think, okay, God, if you would just do the miraculous in my life, if you would do something huge, then I would never be the same again. I would be different. And yet God did something huge in the life of Jonah, right? The fish thing, pretty big thing. But we find him in chapter four pretty much unchanged. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? 
That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. I hate that about you. (laughs) Is that what he's saying? Because look at verse three. He says this, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Most people get angry at God because they believe he lacks compassion. Jonah's mad at God because he has compassion. Now, there are certain segments and certain cultures that that see that, that believe this way, right? That you see evil in the world, people who see injustice, people who see others doing wicked things and they say, God, why don't you deal with that? And don't we feel that way sometimes? God, you need to deal decisively with the injustice in this world. Not my injustice necessarily, but God, other people, their injustice, you need to deal with that. And that's what Jonah thought. These people have sinned. They deserve punishment. And yet God is merciful and compassionate. And maybe you have this picture in your mind that the God of the Old Testament is an angry God. The God of the Old Testament is spiteful and wrathful and vindictive. He can't wait to smite people, even though we don't really know what it means to smite someone. But we, just, we know that the God of the Old Testament smites people. The God of the New Testament, he's love. But the Old Testament, no. But you see, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, this is who God is, merciful and compassionate slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. This is a verse for those of you who question the love of God. This is a verse for those of you who wonder about the character of God, especially in the Old Testament. This is a verse for those of you who think, oh, I would repent, but I have done so many bad things in my life, God would never accept me. Listen, I've read some of the history of what Nineveh did and what Assyria did. It was some bad stuff. And yet God was merciful and compassionate. But instead of rejoicing in the character of God, Jonah's angry. Jonah says, it's better for me to die. He's so stuck in his own little world that he just wants to be done with the whole thing. And can't you see God saying, Jonah, wait, 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 stop. Enough with the kill me now. Didn't you just need mercy and compassion, Jonah? Didn't you just need my rescue? Weren't you just in a fish? I mean, it's ironic, isn't it, that the the grace that Jonah had just received, he was so unwilling to give to Nineveh. We need to be careful of that. I think especially those of us who have grown up in the church. That's me. Those of us who don't really know anything different than kind of growing up in the church and and our rebellious years consisted of like overdue library books and we're like, yeah, I'm a rebel, right? And really kind of a long obedience in the same direction never really came off the rails. This subtle thought can come on us that we don't really need the full measure of the saving grace of God. That really, you know, we were so close to how God wanted us to be anyway. You know, we were just a step away. Sure, there's a whole lot of bad people, but we were, we were close enough. Shortly after my wife and I were married, my parents took uh, the two of us and then my older brothers and their spouses on a trip to the Caribbean. 
go parents. And uh, we get to the Bahamas one day and we run out to this beach and it's just gorgeous and it's fairly empty and the water's amazing and it's a warm day and the waves are crashing in and nobody's in the water. And so we just run, my wife and I, we just run and go play in the water. And we, you know, there's these red flags waving that apparently mean don't go in the water, it's dangerous. But who, who knew? I just thought, well, look at the pretty red flags. And so we run in. Now, the thing is the, the waves had really kind of carved away the edge of the beach significantly so that about three feet in, you were just under. So we go running in and under, and as, as the waves, as waves do, keep coming, um, they just kept coming, 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 and we were stuck. We couldn't get back to shore. Literally, I'm 15 feet from shore and I can't get there. I need help. I need rescue. I need the same rescue 15 feet from shore as someone who's trapped in the middle of the ocean who has no, no chance of survival either. We need help. We, we needed my brothers to come and rescue and help us get out of the water. You see, listen, we all need the full measure of the saving grace of Jesus. Nobody's just like, oh, I'm so much closer than somebody else. Every testimony is about grace. Every testimony is about the mercy of Jesus. Think of what that does to the sacrifice of Jesus to say, oh, I just really needed a little bit of it. And so we, as the church, as we look in the mirror, we need to remember that we needed the same measure of mercy and compassion as Nineveh did. We need the same. We were in the same boat, and, and we can't afford to forget that. We can't afford to forget the character of God, and we can't afford to forget that we needed this as well. It seemed like Jonah did. So I want to ask these questions of ourselves. First is this, have I received the mercy and compassion of God? And that's a starting point. That's a great starting point because we want to see the bigger picture and that's what helps. And then the second question is this, am I willing to offer this mercy and compassion to all people? To everyone? Because we don't see this from Jonah. Verse four. The Lord replied, excuse me, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So here's the thing. Jonah goes basically outside the city to watch. There's revival going on in the city and he's the only pastor. And he leaves. Pastors pray for this stuff. But when this happens, Jonah's out. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. <laughs> this is really like, God, are you just messing with him right now? But no, God is proving a point. God is, is getting his attention, okay? So the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. The plant is an interesting addition to this story, isn't it? 
And as I'm reading about this this past week, you know, it, it could have been a, a castor oil plant which grows quickly and has broad leaves. And, and I was going to do more research about it. And then I thought, why? You know, I believe this guy was just in a fish for three days. Why do I have to explain a quick growing plant? I mean, God could have done two palm trees in a hammock if he wanted. So don't, <laughs> don't be like, oh, what plant grows that fast? And what could it be? Just if he's in the fish, there's a plant that grows. We got it. God arranged for the plant, right? But he also arranged for the worm. And he also arranged for the wind because he was getting Jonah's attention. And here's what God's saying. Jonah, you love the plant more than you love the people. Jonah, you're more in love with the protection and provision and grace and mercy of this plant to you than you are with the people in that city. And so God asked him this question is, do you have any right to be angry? And this is a lose-lose question. He, he can't get this one right. Because if he says, no, I don't have any right to be angry about the plant, what he's saying is, God, you are in control. You will do what you will. You do what you want. You bring things. You take things away. It's you. But if he says, yes, God, I am angry. I'm angry that I had this provision, this protection, this mercy, this compassion, and you removed it from me the same way I want you to remove it from Nineveh. Right? It's kind of a lose-lose situation. Do you have any right to be angry about my compassion? Jonah cannot live without the grace of God, but he cannot live if God's grace is extended to people that he does not like. He can't live without it himself, but he can't live with it be, being given to the enemy. And God says, why are you angry with my compassion? God says, do you have a right to judge these people. Because that's what Jonah was doing. He was judging them. Self-righteousness was rising up in him. And he was seeing things that they were doing that they shouldn't be doing. And so he began to judge them. Because we know they're enemies. And we know Israel had been paying tribute to Assyria, basically protection money. And any good citizen of Israel would never preach repentance. Any patriotic Israelite would never go to Nineveh. You see, Jonah put his nation's interests over the interests of God. Jonah thought his country was more important than God's greater plan for the world. So he became judgmental. He became self-righteous. He became lost in his own little story. And that's the danger of being a good moral person who obeys rules and who follows God, but then gets stuck. And we can do that. We can become an obstacle to grace rather than an instrument of grace. And I don't know what his motivations were. We don't know everything that was going on in his heart. Maybe he wanted more penance from Nineveh. Maybe he wanted them to suffer just a little bit. Sure, they can repent, but they're going to pay for it. Because that's what we want. We want other people to repent, but we want a little suffering attached to it, right? We want the prodigal to come home, but not to a ring and a robe and a feast. We want him working in the field, right? Sure, come home, but get out there. Work that thing off. You owe a lot. We don't know what those motivations were, but we do know this. We know that when you are judging someone, you are not loving them. When we spend all of our time judging other people, it keeps us from loving other people. 
Jonah was so caught up in self-pity, he had no pity for anyone else. Jonah was so caught up in his own little circle, he couldn't see beyond it. Jonah was so caught up in judging that he lost track of loving. We can't afford to do that. So let's ask ourselves these questions. Who do I judge? And maybe deeper than that, why? Why am I judging them? What is it about those people that causes me to judge them? Maybe a different way of asking it is, who are those people in your world? You know those people, the ones that act that way, the ones that do those things. It didn't take me long in ministry to figure out that everybody has a story. When I was a youth pastor in Pennsylvania, there was a student in my youth group. His name was Josh. And honestly, he was a nightmare. All right, I'm just telling you. He was one of those, when he would walk in the room, I would just be like, oh, here we go. This is not gonna go well. We're done. He was the only student I ever had to physically restrain. Uh, and I, I'm not exactly built for physically restraining people, but uh, thankfully he was really scrawny. So, but he was, he was going after another kid and he wanted to just punch this other kid out. So I grabbed him and we hugged it out. Um, I just had this opinion of him. I just judged him, which kept him at arm's length until I heard his story. And I heard about the way he was treated at home. And I heard about his abandonment. And I heard about all of these different things. And it, it really, I became amazed that he could be even out of his home and functioning. And my judgment softened and allowed me to begin loving him. Who is it that we judge? We, we want to we meet out justice and, and we, wanna, we want people to pay for their stuff. And we want to do that and we have negative attitudes and judgmental words and destructive actions. God doesn't call us to do that. That was not part of God's plan. Let's see how this story ends. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's the end. <laughs> right? And I don't know about you, but you know, I, I found myself like, all right, what's the real ending, God? How does this really end? Because you know what I want to know? What did Jonah choose? What did he choose? Did he say, you're right, God. You're right. I, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. And I want to go back in the city and make it right. Or did he just say, I'm done. God, I can't live. I mean, you see it so much in chapter four. I can't live in this world. I'm not doing it. I'm out. I mean, we know what he was concerned about. He was concerned about his nation. He was concerned about his ideology. He was concerned about his reputation. He didn't like those people. He was hot. He missed his plant. It's a 500-mile walk home. That's what he's concerned about. And God says, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. Jonah, you're a good guy. I talk to you. I give you my messages. There's going to be a book in the Bible about you. That's good stuff. But your story's too small, and your vision's too narrow, and you're stuck in your own world. You see, God says, I... I'm concerned about this generation. 
I'm concerned about people. I'm concerned about all people. I'm concerned about those people, the ones that don't look like you or act like you, the ones that are doing really awful things. I am concerned about those people. Jonah looked at Nineveh and everything that was going wrong and it turned him away. God looked at Nineveh and everything that was going wrong and it turned him towards them. And so I wonder, as you finish the story, did Jonah miss it? Did he miss it? Are we going to miss it? Will we miss God's bigger story? Let me close with this question. What am I most concerned with? Or what frustrates me the most? Because those are the things that take my attention. What are our plants? Maybe it's just your own world. You just feel like you're a Christian, but then God exists so that you, know, you can be provided for and safe. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe you feel like, God, really, what I'm really concerned about right now is the political process in America. Fix it. Maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe it's um, your yard. You know, I live, we live in the grass seed capital of the world, and all I can grow is weeds. <laughs> you know, this past week, my car dies. Um, after a really hard rain, I have a water feature in my daughter's bedroom. Unplanned. Right? And all of these things take my attention away from the bigger story. And all of these things frustrate me. And all of these things kind of make me collapse in on myself. And, and God says, yeah, I'm concerned about you. And I'm concerned about those things. And I want to help you with those things. But I'm also concerned about the bigger picture. I also have a bigger story going on here. And you're missing it. And you're missing the people around you. You know, your neighbor who needs me. You know, the one whose dog barks in the middle of the night all the time. Yeah, I love him. And you know that coworker, the one that's a little edgy or bossy or gossipy? Yeah, yeah, I love them. And God says, you know that kid at school who's really annoying and sits by himself at lunch? I, I love him. Why don't you? Why are you missing these people? Why are you missing my purpose for the world because you're so stuck? God's story is always so much bigger and better than our own. And we need to lift our gaze and see it. Now, you know what? So many of you get this. And so many of you are doing something about it. So many of you volunteer and you coach and you teach and you mentor. And you know that God is concerned about this generation. So you take your time and your talents and your energies and your resources and you are pouring into people and it's making a difference. I promise you it's making a difference. Salem is better because of what you do. The world is better in some way because of what you do. And the beautiful thing about that is you're making a difference and it's not necessarily about your theology. Our theology is super important, but probably your theology isn't making a difference. It's your example and it's your time and it's your energy and it's your efforts. Thank you. But all of us need to be on board with that. All of us need to understand that God has a bigger picture and a bigger purpose. You see, the sin of Jonah that we see is that he was just stuck in his own little world. He was just concerned about how God related to him and his nation and his stuff and his things and his ideology. And we need to get past that. And so we've got to understand that we received grace and compassion 
just like the world needs to. And so we can't sit back and judge. We have to dive in and follow God wholeheartedly and open our eyes to his bigger story. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories. As quirky as they are, we thank you for the story of Jonah and, and what it speaks to us. And God, forgive us for when we are judgmental. Forgive us for when we lack compassion for the world. Forgive us for when we just go outside the city and watch and don't engage. God, continue to open our eyes to what you're doing in the world. Continue to use us to bring fame to your name. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.